Okay. I'm going to put it right here, use the restroom, and come back. I've learned the hard way.
and it is. This it? No, that's the recorder that I need. Oh, okay. This is, in fact, this is nothing more than a recording for Jonathan, who somebody wants to. Oh, that's it. Is this it? Yeah. I need to ask him about it because I didn't think I thought he got a new one because I've used that. That thing doesn't work well at all. I'm, I'm going to have to text no, Jeff. No, he was down here earlier today uh, fooling with something Jeff was. You know, now, if, if Patterson were here, he'd just, he'd just take the, the handheld. Yeah. But I can't do it with my Bible. I, yeah. yeah it, so anyway. I'm always using my hand. Don't worry about it next week. Yeah. Forget okay. it. Just, you're on. So all the all they did, not all they did, but they just drained the hematoma. Yeah, and then they had a cutaway flash. Oh, they did have to cut some. Yeah. So, but, I mean, otherwise, you know, normally those things sort of go away, but apparently that was pretty serious. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of deep, kind of like a chasm. Yeah. And so they had a packet, and then they have a vacuum on it that's supposed to pull skin together because it has to hit from the inside out, and it has negative pressure on it, and then. Then of course it sucks out fluid. So I couldn't have done it with my with my Boy Scout knife. No, you could have tried. I could have tried. Probably been a little bit more painful. It wouldn't. It, it wouldn't have hurt me. No, not at all. I've been fine. <laughs> anyway, so but you're walking, you're fine. Yeah. Okay, William, is it here next week? Yes. You have 21 and 22, yeah. two gotcha. Sundays. Yeah. If you don't finish it when I come back, we'll talk. But. If you do finish it on the twenty on the September the the, the uh, seventeenth, yeah. which is you have three and ten, yeah. and I have seventeen, then all I'm going to do is because we'll be through with it. Presumably, right. you finish the entire text. Yeah. We're going to have food. We're going to have visit. We're going to anybody have a question? Yeah. Time good. long time for prayer. Nothing. No study. Yeah. And then Philip uh, William will pick up. Yeah. The following right. way. Sounds great. Yeah. Too much military in me, man. I just. <laughs> I don't like. I always have contingency plans B, C, and D. Yeah. Philip is teaching, and the ne next week William has a standalone. Philip's going to come back and teach 21 and 22. Okay. There's supposed to be a lapel mic. I know you're hearing me, brother. There, there's uh, I asked Jeff Thweet to get us a new a lapel mic that works. Okay. Philip needs more projection, I think. Okay. So the short answer is, if if there's no lapel mic. Get a boom. Okay. Set it up. I'll be gone when he wraps up Revelation. Fair enough. Okay. You cool. got it? Yeah. All that in that master brain of yours, if you got it? <laughs> All the details I'll, are down. I'll forget it two or three times until then.
I'm ready. I'm already behind. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to class. We're glad everyone's here. Shh. I get it to, to quiet down just a little bit more so I don't have to yell. But I can yell anyway. That's okay. Vegas that's been pretty sick and he just got back from a trip out there so I think he has cancer. There were two young people that Ben mentioned last week, Trevor and Ashton, Ashlyn and Trevor that are dealing with cancer so we need to remember them in our prayers. I want to go out on your prayer email this week. Thank you. Are we having, um, we're having an abbreviated class or on, is it on Labor Day? Yes, is it, we're just going to have a Q&A? No, that's, our Q&A is when we come back. Yeah, also. On September the 17th. On the 17th, okay. The, Philip's teaching the 3rd. On the 17th is Q&A. 17th is Sunday, September 17th. It's Q&A, the short of class. Q&A, yes.
Amen. Good morning. Good morning. That song this morning that we sang someday, you know, had all four parts and how it just kind of builds up. <clears throat> I couldn't even hardly sing. You know, I do tend sometimes to be emotional. I think we all do. You know, the Spirit touches each one of us at a very different moment than, than someone else. And, um, huh? And I was thinking exactly of our text this morning, and that beautiful text in 1 Thessalonians 4 that feeds right into Revelation, one day, someday, the Lord will descend with the cry of command, the archangels call, and the sound of the trumpet of God. It's a beautiful text. Now, open your Bibles up to Revelation chapter 20. No PowerPoint, no whiteboard, just moi. Really, just the Spirit, I, I pray. All right, we're going to be closing this up in about three weeks. Uh, I'm going to take chapter 20 today. Next week, I'll be away. Uh, Deb and I are seeing our granddaughters up north, and um, Brother Philip will be away. Uh, our two granddaughters and our granddaughter. I, I can't even believe I say, I'm saying that, you know. <laughs> I felt the same way when we said granddaughter 25 years ago. It got, it, it got easier after the first one, and I suspect the greats will become easier too after the first one. Anyway, she's uh, about three months old now, right? I was, I was so much. Anyway, and then her sister, uh, Anna's sister, older sister Virginia, is expecting in November a little boy. So we'll have a great granddaughter and a great grandson in the same Half year. Amazing. Anyway, we'll not be here. <laughs> um, but next week, William will take uh, a standalone lesson. Uh, so come on back next week and open the Bible up and enjoy that class led by William and guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but today we're going to go all the way through chapter 20. And then a couple of weeks from now, Philip will wrap it up with 21 and 22. On September the 17th, I share this with you because... I, I always would like to know if I were sitting out there with you. On September the 17th, Philip wraps up on September the 10th, then we're just going to have a Q&A. No, no, no verse-by-verse -verse study. We'll have already been through the entire book of Revelation, and we're going to have some snacks set out and whatever. Debbie's kind of asking some ladies to get involved or men or whomever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyway, and we'll just have some Q&A to wrap it up. If anybody has a question about Revelation, and then Philip can address it. <laughs> See, nobody's laughing. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> okay, um, here's where we are. Revelation, the seven seals from Revelation 4 and 5 have already been broken. The seven trumpets have sounded. The seven cups of wrath have been poured out on the earth. The final battle, Revelation 19, which really wasn't a battle. You don't, you don't fight omnipotence. It's impossible. But in Revelation 19, after the seventh cup of wrath was poured out, then Jesus Christ, faithful and true, 
comes down out of heaven on a white horse and his army of hosts, they take the beast, the Antichrist, the great harlot that was spoken of in 17 and 18, and they, he, our Lord, takes the beast, takes the false prophet, throws them into the lake of fire, then he judges all the others who followed the beast and the false prophet, and he judged them, he killed them, the Bible says, with his sword. The sword was the word, was his judgment. Well, that leaves everyone but the dragon around, right? The beast is gone, the false prophet's gone, all the evil ones are gone, but they're still the dragon. And so we come to Revelation 20, and this will be the fate of the dragon. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. Now keep in mind, all these are symbols. We're talking about this incredible spiritual battle. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, the only time you'll read in Scripture, and I've done my work on I've read others who have done far more study than I have, the only reference you'll ever see to a thousand years is right here. Revelation 20 and verse 3. You will see multiple references to the kingdom. Remember now what we're talking about, what the scroll contained that the seals were protecting, what the, what the seventh seal opened up to the trumpets, what the seventh trumpet opened up to the seven cups, the whole storyline that the scroll contained is that God's kingdom is coming. And when His kingdom comes, He will remove all evil, because you can't have evil present with God's presence, and He will make all things new. Now, I know that we... Not just, not just the churches of Christ, not from our restoration tradition, but Christendom for the last two millennia, we've also understood that there is a shadowing of the kingdom when Jesus said in Mark 9 and verse 1, talking to the apostles, He said, there are some standing here who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. And so we do understand that the kingdom that God's reign on this earth occurred resurrection, Pentecost, with the church. But I think Paul really explains it well in Ephesians 5.27. You can look at it later. when he, He's talking about husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And then he says you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then he talks about the radiant church that is holy and blameless and stain-free and sin-free. I know that we're all forgiven, but there are, there's clearly from Genesis following, there is this concept that everybody, every child of God, certainly the seven churches of Asia, understood that the time would come when God would return, Messiah would come back, the Christ would come back, and he would establish his bona fide, sinless, stain-free kingdom. That's why Jesus said when you pray, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Now, I know he said that prior to Pentecost, and I was taught early as a young 
child and young man that the prayer was fulfilled on Pentecost. And in part, it was. In part, the kingdom did come. But clearly not as the full kingdom is talking about. And so we come to that thousand-year reign. And last week, we put on the board the pre, the post, the amillennialist view. We're not going to do that again. I think I will take a moment here, if we have time, and ask the question that, that we had on the slide last week. Um, what do they all have in common? So let's just, before we leave verse 3, and we're going to go all the way through verse uh, all the way through chapter 20, I promise you. I'm not quitting until we're through, and you're not leaving until I quit. <laughs> all right? What do they all have in common? Regardless of their one's interpretation of, of the thousand-year reign, the millennia, or the millennium, uh, the kingdom, etc. Just think out loud. What, what was the question? <laughs> okay. The question was, what do all of the interpretations of the thousand-year reign have in common. Kent, you're going to start. Well, last week I said God won, uh, and it's going to be won. That's exactly what you said. God, God wins, and that's why I had you start again, because you're right. No matter what perspective you approach this at, whether you're talking about a futuristic thousand years, as many within Christianity believe, futuristic, so therefore it hasn't occurred yet, or whether you're thinking that it's the church era, which many other scholars and Bible students and Christians believe, that the thousand years is symbolic and it represents the church era, which is probably, if you've been within our brotherhood very long and done any serious study, I've no doubt that you've heard that. And it's a very viable interpretation that's worthy of our consideration, regardless whether it's futuristic or we're living in it right now, God wins. That's one. What are, what are some other things that, um, that, that they all have in common? I say all, there's more than two, several interpretations. It may sound simple, right? Evil is defeated. Evil is defeated. Jesus will come. You know, whether we think the rapture will occur way back then or the, or, or the rapture, you know, will occur and then we're going to, you know, at the end of the thousand years, Jesus will come again. God wins. Evil's defeated. I don't have a list in mind, by the way, so let's keep talking until we're through. I guess that pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> now, the only, this is, I'm going to step out on a limb here. So don't, you know, parse every syllable. The, the, I'll put it this way. This is better. The one thing that they all argue about, differ on, is not that Christ will come again is not that God will win, is not that evil will be punished and sin will not exist without any, without any impunity. Everyone understands that. It's the timing of it all. 
And when you address the timing, now you have to step back and say, is it all figurative or is it all literal or what's the difference between the two? So most of those who think of a futuristic thousand year reign, those who would be pre-millennial, really consider a lot of this to be literal. Those who think that the church age is, age is indeed the thousand-year reign look at it as symbolic. So, look at verse 3 again, or verse 2. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. I kind of want to stop very quickly on the word bound because regardless of your interpretation, the word bound, he's, he's going to be bound. He's limited, but he's not impotent. He'll be bound for a thousand years. Following the thousand-year reign, verse 7 and following, he'll be released. He's going to deceive the nations again, gather his forces, all for naught. There's never, there wasn't a battle in 19. There's not a battle in 20. And then God is going to send fire, consume everyone, and then the devil will be taken, captured, and we will never, ever feel or see his presence again. So, it kind of reminds me of a junkyard dog. I don't know, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I really enjoyed that illustration that Patterson used because I just thought it's just a typical boy, maybe girl too. I don't want to, you know, but uh, the girls that I knew, you know, my sister or Debbie, they would, have, they would not have done that. She, they're not going to throw sticks at a, at a bull, you know. They're, they're way too smart for that. Girls are just simply too smart. But I would have thrown rocks at a bull. I mean, I could see myself doing that. But as I, you know, rode my bike around and, you know, went to the various places and on the outskirts of Corpus Christi when I was 10, 11, 12, I saw a lot of junkyard dogs. I mean, I saw a lot of junkyards and these ferocious dogs, but they were always chained. Sometimes there was a high fence, but if there was no fence, and often there wasn't a fence, they were chained. I knew that that dog was powerful, that dog could rip me up, but I would get as close to the chain as I could. And I did it, I, you know, and I, and I never thought about the chain breaking, you know. <laughs> when, when evil, the dog's not evil, when evil is bound, it doesn't mean that you can't get within the circle of the one being limited or bound. What about that text in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when Paul tells the church at Corinth that there is no temptation that will ever overcome you, um, but God will always provide an escape for you. On Pentecost, Joel's prophecy comes, this connects. On Pentecost, Joel's prophecy came through. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. The kingdom of God in its kind of a prototype was established. We are saved by God through our faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and the junkyard dog, the devil, cannot touch us, cannot take our salvation, uh, can make our life joyless if we, if we let him, but cannot rob us of our salvation. You'll notice that, how many times did you read about um, a demon possession all through the Gospels, through the life of Christ, Right? And yet somehow, from Pentecost forward, they're seldom, unless it's voluntary, 
And this is my take on the, on the devil being bound and being very limited. The devil cannot, without my consent, cause me to sin one bit. He certainly doesn't have the power to involuntarily uh, put demons within me. He did. I think he was limitless on earth, but he's bound. So just keep in mind that whenever you read about the devil being bound for a thousand years, it, he's not yet thrown into the lake of fire. He's not yet forever, for eternity, out of humanity's uh, space. He's present. He's just bound for a thousand years. We don't have to move on just yet. Does anybody have a thought on that? Okay, Vince. Well, if you're asking my opinion, based on what I know of Scripture, I think, it's, I think he's already bound. And I, think, I, I do think that we pray all the time, just like Jesus taught us, do not allow us to be led into temptation, deliver us from evil. So the prayers for provision and forgiveness and protection is very real. Um, I pray uh, daily, not just for sins to be forgiven, but for my family and for you and for me and as many people as I can think of. And I use the Lord's Prayer as a model. It really is my template and I follow it through. Uh, but I pray that, that, that I won't even be tempted. Uh, yep, Fran? Today? I don't, not voluntarily. If, if anyone is possessed, and I think there could be demon possession today, but I think it's those seeking to be possessed and be controlled by the devil. No one in the body of Christ, no one, can ever be involuntarily possessed by demons today. The resurrection took care of that. Vince? I think it's I think it's an involuntary possession. I mean, I, I I think the devil had control, and I know this is a little bit off off our text here, and it's certainly worthy of other discussion. So I, I want to press on right now. But but the way that I look at it is when the way that I believe the Bible teaches is is that the devil is indeed bound. Bound by the fact that you have the Holy Spirit living within you. God's presence is within us and around us. James says, resist the devil and he will do what? Flee. He doesn't flee because of Michael Whittington. He flees because of the Spirit and God. That's why, that's why he's fleeing. If I resist the devil, he's not going to say, oh, well, you know, gosh, Brother Witt, you're such a holy man. I'll run. No, not at all. He's running from God, not from me. If I'm not a Christian, if I'm not a believer, then he has pretty much free reign. And I think people are duped all the time into believing that what they're doing is right, and you know, but they don't—they're not believers, and I think they're—I think they're just agents of Beelzebul and not even know it. Ricky. How do I tie? How do you tie it in? 
Yeah. Right. Oh, you mean for the symbolism involved? Yeah. I, I really enjoy that text in Second Peter where he talks about the thousand days being one day with the Lord. It's because it really helps me, my very limited mind, be kind of wrapped around God's timetable. Okay. So he threw him into the abyss. The, all the word means is the deep. It's just a variant for hell. He threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. Now he is... He's not impotent, but the purpose of, apparently, uh, uh, Christ, you know, faithful and true, capturing him, throwing him into the abyss, is that he'll not deceive the nations anymore. He is the father of lies. After that, he must be set free uh, for a short time. Now, verses 4 through 6, And I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. We've already been introduced to the 24 elders, and that very well may be the reference. I think it is, Revelation 4, 4. We don't know who the 24 elders are. We, could, we talked about it a little bit uh, months ago whenever we got in Revelation chapter 4. Do they were authoritative? Because, and we do know that we're not talking about angelic beings. We're talking about humans. So we do know that these 24 elders sat on thrones and they wore crowns, all symbols of royalty, symbols of power, symbols of position. And they had a position that the judge of all, faithful and true, delegated to them. So I saw thrones on which were seated those who have been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls. We, th we can discuss this some other time, but it's another whole thought. Why, you know, um, there are those who say that, that, that this, this, the, this is the first resurrection and that later the bodily resurrection will occur, uh, that this is just the, 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 the souls. I, I personally don't think that, but last week, when it, whenever I was talking about how the, the rider on the white horse, who was faithful and true, Christ himself, comes back and his white robe is dipped in blood, and I made the reference that it's the blood that he shed on Calvary that came to save mankind, humanity. I still think that to be the case, but uh, Kent mentioned to me afterwards, might it be the blood of the, of the martyred souls? And it really does fit well. And I'd read that before. I haven't put too much thought to it. But in, in uh, Revelation um, uh, 6, um, whenever the, uh, fifth, the fifth seal was broken, yeah, Revelation 6 and verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They cried out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, till you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And that very well may be the reference when the Son of Man comes back and his robe is dipped in blood, he's coming back for vengeance. The only weapon he has is the word, the same word that, that brought the universe into existence. He's going to be judging those who beheaded, who martyred his own people. He's coming back as the, the bridegroom to avenge the bride. Okay, uh, and I saw the souls of those who had been uh, beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus. 
And because of the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, you have this parenthetical, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended, end of the parenthesis. And then he closes verse 5. Of course, whenever John was writing this, there weren't verses. Uh, this is the first resurrection. It's pretty clear, I think, from the reading that the first resurrection he's talking about are, are the saints, right? The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand-year reigns were, were, were ended. Um, the, there, there is no second death for believers. There is a second death for unbelievers. So if, if I can put this in just a few words to, to, help, to help you a bit, if, you know, I'm sure you could help me as well. You've got, for this, for this thousand-year reign, you've got, let, let me just read it, then, we'll, then I'll, okay. They had not worshipped the beast. We're talking the souls. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So whatever that period of time. the rest. So that's the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come. First resurrection. And then look at verse 6. Blessed and, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him a thousand years. Whenever the, the, and I'll use the word rapture, it's a good word, actually, you know, comes right there in the 13th verse of 1 Thessalonians 4. Whenever, it just means to be caught up together. Whenever Paul tells the Thessalonian church that the day will come when Christ will descend, archangels call, sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ, notice how he specifies the dead in Christ will rise. Right? And he was writing a church because they were concerned that I just buried mama and she's going to miss the kingdom. And Paul says, don't worry about it. She'll be, she'll be there before you will. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up, that raptured, caught up to be with them in the, in the air, there to be with the Lord forever. Once raised from the dead, there is no second resurrection because there's no second death. The evil, there will be raised and die again, and he'll discuss that right now. So now we come to Satan's doom. There are three parts in Revelation 20. You've got this thousand-year reign, verses 1 through 6, and then you have this insurrection of evil again, 1 through 10, and then the dead are judged. When the thousand years, verse 7, when the thousand years are over... Now, he's going to make another reference, or at least in his, he's going to extend it back to Ezekiel uh, chapter 39 with Gog and Magog. Keep in mind that that's symbols. Gog, back during the days of Ezekiel, was one of the princes in the land of Magog. And over time, the words Gog and Magog pretty much became symbolic with any evil trying to overtake God's people. And you can read the text, and it's just about verbatim as to what he's written here. Read the text back in Ezekiel 39, verses 1 through 6, and it will make a lot of sense to you. Satan will be... Okay, let me start over here. <clears throat> yeah, Trent. His word is the only weapon he does need to defeat Satan. 
Okay. Okay, yep, I agree. He's, since God's omnipotent, he could pretty much, he could bring a Death Star if he wanted to, you know. <laughs> Actually, that might be how he does it. Okay, when the, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released. Now notice, this thousand years in Scripture is extraordinarily brief. It's three verses that really needs to soak in. God can say a lot in three verses, but what I take from it out of, out of a lengthy scroll, 22 chapters, is that it's unimportant. You don't need to know every specific of what the thousand years will happen, what will occur during that thousand years, other than God's presence is there. And when it's over, He's going to take the ancient serpent, the devil, release him from the chain, and the devil will once again deceive the nations, which is his, which is what he does, right? It's his, um, it's his M.O. It, it's, it's who he is. But there is no battle still. He's going to gather there at Armageddon, you know, Revelation 16. Okay, Satan will be released, verse 7, from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They, this is exactly how Ezekiel describes it too. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surround, surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Do you think the seven churches can appreciate that reference? Oh, absolutely, they know exactly what he's talking about. Now, notice what happens. Talking about weapons, Trent, not a spear thrown, not, there was, no weapon was used. They simply garnered, the evil, the evil one garnered his forces. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's it. That's all we have. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. Now they're all three together. For how long? They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. As the angel exclaimed in Revelation 18, verse 20, it is done. And the whole story concludes. Now, the beast, the harlot, synonymous, the antichrist, lake of fire, the false prophet, you know, the concilia of Rome or whoever was getting others to bow down and worship the priest, uh, the uh, beast, the false prophet, lake of fire, the devil himself, no more, lake of fire, forever and forever and forever for an eternity. You will never feel or see or be tempted or then we become the radiant church. Lake of fire. Well, who's left? Well, who's left are the dead evil who haven't been judged yet. Then I saw a great white throne. 
Logos, I think, the Christ, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. It's very important for you to catch that plural. It's in English here, right, too. Okay? Biblia. It's plural. Books. Not one book. We're not all in the same book. We think, well, a book will be open, and Ricky's going to have to say, okay, I hope the Lord's here somewhere, because I'm going to be judged from every word I spoke, every good deed, every bad deed. God Almighty, the Father in heaven, you know, El Shaddai is going to judge me. Wrong. The only, the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead, who, who are the dead we're talking about? Because the rapture's already occurred. We're talking about evil. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. We're talking about the world of the grave now. The sea, death, Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person, not Ricky, not Teresa, not even me. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is comforting to the churches because they and we know that we are saved by grace through our faith in Christ. It's not of our own works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. When your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and that name is written the moment that you become with Him. You're with Him, right? You, based on your faith, the moment you believe, the moment that you obey, the moment that you're gathered with Christ, there's no other book that has your name in it. There's no other need for you to say, well, I hope it's like at least 51% good and 49% bad and I'll slip right through. Only the evil will be judged by what they've done. And they too, repeatedly, and still do today, that's the purpose of the Word of God, have the chance to repent and believe and become one of His. So by the time we reach the end of chapter 20, we're going to be entering this beautiful close that now that evil has been removed, what's left? We've got to make all things new. So we have a new heaven and a new earth. I want to read, reread again a text in 2 Peter, and with that we'll close. And um, usually have it marked. I get to it quickly, but here we go. Okay. I'm going, to, I'm going to go back to verse 8. 2 Peter 3. You've heard me read it before. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. He's writing to Christians, to you. Peter's writing to the Antioch church. 
With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Don't worry. It may seem like he's never coming. He's coming. Be patient. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. He hasn't arrived yet because there's still someone who are going to, they're going to come to Christ and God knows it. But everyone to come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens, we just read this in Revelation with the fire, the heavens will, dis, will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Here we go. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The radiant church will inherit the Garden of Eden. And this time, there won't be a serpent who will tempt us. And that's Revelation. And Philip's going to wrap it up. Is there a closing question or comment in just a moment? I think... You'll see, uh, Brother Todd, would you close us in prayer in just a minute, please? Any other thoughts before we wrap it up? Well, I mean, when you read First Peter, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a second chance after that. No. I, if you're asking my opinion as I read Scripture, no, I don't think there is. If you're asking would that be kind of cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, but, but the answer is, is that that second chance, if indeed the premillennialists, LaHaye and others, are correct, that second chance will come during the tribulation, the last three and a half years. And if you really understand the torture and the ugliness, if we think what we've experienced in our lifetime is bad, that three and a half years, uh, so I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But uh, it is. It's sort of a second chance. Well, it's like, yeah, absolutely correct. And, and you know, no, I don't believe it. Can't. Anybody else? All right. One of our shepherds, Todd, would you close us in prayer? Always a shepherd.
Amen. If, uh, if you, have you read like, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? You know, um, no, I haven't. I've read a lot of It's very stuff. interesting. It's, um, it's about people who are dead, yeah. and there's a busload of them from hell that get to go to heaven, uh, to the best. The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce. The, the, they get to go to, like, to the best, best people of heaven. What? By the time you finish reading the book, every single one of them hops on the bus to go back to hell because heaven is not where they want it to be in the first place. I mean, yeah. you know, it, yeah. did, it didn't, wasn't what they chose. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very interesting, kind of disturbing, but, but very interesting. Yeah. They don't get to go all the way in there. Right. Well, that's why the Pharaoh and the Griffin, they don't repent. Yeah. They, So separating the first and second resurrection based on human time, 
Say it, I don't know. 